don't think I am capable of loving anyone as much as I loved my daddy. And I will miss him more than anything. We are forever crushed by the loss of our beautiful son, your fellow officer and friend, and the future that he was robbed of. The heartache, the sorrow, and the despair, as two officers killed a week ago protecting their community, are laid to rest. Good evening. Once again, members of Ontario's police family are hurting from the loss of a colleague. They gathered by the thousands today to say goodbye to Constables Morgan Russell and Devin Northrup. The two were shot to death during a disturbance call in Innisfil. And tonight, amid the grieving, their families try to begin the process of healing. Arshan Lethong is in Barrie tonight where the funeral took place today. He joins us now with more. Arshan. Michelle and Nathan, the outpouring of support is unmatched for a fallen officer. But this community is grieving not only for one fallen officer, but two who were taken so suddenly. The sound of bagpipes accompany two officers on their final journey. Killed in the line of duty, the families of Constables Morgan Russell and Devin Northrup share the pain of remembering their last day together. Devin left early for work which never happens, kissed me three times before he left like he always did. And as always, before one of us walked out that door, we said, stay safe. He hugged the three of us. He told us he loved us. And we waved at the window as he drove away. Both families never to see their loved one again. Now they can only hold part of the past. Madeline, Maggie and I lost our source of strength, our confidant and our advisor. Morgan was truly the kindest, most loyal and loving husband and daddy that anyone could ever want. We waited so long to find each other, and one day, somewhere, we will find each other again. I will love you forever, and you are my hero. The two South Simcoe police officers were described. Constable Russell, a mentor who used his 33 years of experience to lead, Northrop, six years on the job, known for maturity beyond those years. Someone destined to become a mentor, potential painfully unrealized. As parents, losing a child to a premature and violent death, it's unbelievably painful. The two officers were shot and killed on the evening of October 11th while attending a call for disturbance in Innisville. The gunman later killed by another officer. This morning, the streets of Barrie were a sea of blue. The procession from two separate funeral homes, police and fire from multiple forces, including the RCMP, Toronto, Peel, York, Halton, Durham, and beyond lining the procession route. It's sad. I mean, I, I don't know how else to describe it. I, this is what the officers are being faced with. Uh, you're seeing the proliferation of gun violence. These circumstances, as ho horrible as they are, outliers sometimes. And we have still a commitment to serve the community. Uh, and we're thankful for them. As hundreds of officers filed toward the Sadlon Arena, family members say they're feeling both the pride of support and the weight of this loss. Very difficult week last week. And I'm very... Um, I'm, I'm happy there's some closure for them. It just shows you there's a lot of decent humans, human beings in the world, a lot of humanity, and it gives you hope. And as hundreds of officers look on, Premier Doug Ford, who is also a member of a police family, noting the sad reality. We have seen too many days recently when these heroes 
didn't return from their shift, that hits home. Two more officers taken by duty with an outpouring of support only outsized by grief. What may be most striking is the contrast in the pictures painted by the families of Constables Northrop and Russell, that before they left for that shift, they held their families tight. And then today, their families left holding only the fallen officers' hats. Reporting live, I'm Sean Neethong. I'll send it back to you. All right. Thank you, Sean. And as Sean reported, the premier also attending the funeral. He was one of the first politicians to visit Innisfil following last week's tragedy. Today, a visibly shaken Doug Ford spoke about the great loss both the service and the families of the constables have suffered. Morgan was a role model to dozens of young officers who had the good fortune of crossing his path. He was kind. He was funny. He could always find the common ground. People say Morgan just had a special way about him. It was the little things. He always knew exactly what someone needed and just how he could help. I had the honor of meeting Devin once. And I have a picture of both of us together that means so much to me. And although his time as an officer was cut tragically short, Devin left a legacy to be proud of. There are no words to describe the tragedy that happened on October the 11th. It was unspeakable crime and one we're all struggling to come to terms with. To the Russell family and Northrop families, we're all so very, very heartbroken for both of you. And this is the third police funeral the premiers attended in four weeks. They include the service for Toronto Constable Andrew Hong, who was shot to death inside a Mississauga coffee house in September, and York Region's Travis Gillespie, killed while heading to work by an alleged impaired driver. Still ahead, the story of another mass gathering, this one by students in an effort to create a path towards reconciliation. We'll have the details. Let's turn to weather now. Here's a live look at the city tonight, and this promised warm-up couldn't come sooner. Lindsay Morrison is here with a look at the current conditions. Lindsay. Well, Nathan, we just have to get through one more chilly night before that warm-up can begin, and it is still cold enough at this hour for a few wet snowflakes to be falling. You can see uh, little patches of blue here on the satellite and radar imagery. Showers are moving out of the city of Toronto, which is good news. Just zeroing in here on Muskoka as you had some accumulating wet snow earlier this morning. We've had gusty winds. They're still quite strong out of the southwest. Temperatures this hour in the single digits. It's only six degrees in the city of Toronto and tonight we're forecasting a low close to freezing. As a result, there's a frost advisory in effect. We'll talk more about this and yes, that promised warm up just in time for the weekend. All of those details are still ahead. For now, Nathan, back to you. All right. Thank you, Lindsay. We have a new snapshot of how Ontario students are faring in core subjects. The data from provincial standardized tests done in the spring. The results, an outcome that just doesn't add up for some parents. CTV's Mike Walker joins us now to break down these new numbers. Mike. Well, Michelle, Nathan, when it comes to math, the results show that students are missing the mark, which is about the equivalent of a B grade. Now, the pandemic is being blamed for this, and today the education minister announced more financial support for parents to help their kids catch up. 
A majority of grade six students in Ontario are failing to meet the province's math standards, something this tutor is seeing firsthand after learning disruption caused by the pandemic. We are seeing very real chunks but that are missing, very real learning loss, and I would couple that with the anxiety around where do I even get help for this? The latest results from the Education Quality and Accountability Office shows 59% of students in grade three and less than half of grade six students met the provincial standard. Compared to the tests in 2018-2019, the results are nearly identical. It's concerning for this parent whose daughter is now in grade four. It, it was years, right? It wasn't months, it wasn't weeks, it was, it was years. So um, yeah, I think we all just have to put a little bit more effort in to get them caught up. The education minister blaming the results on the pandemic that forced school closures for 20 weeks and previous job action by teachers. This trend is global in its nature. When kids are disrupted, when they're out of class, they're not in front of their teacher, they perform more poorly. Stephen Lecce announcing funding parents can apply for to help offset the cost of catching up, including tutoring. Starting today, parents of school-aged children can apply for $200 per child up to 18 and $250 per child with special education needs up to 21. This direct payment to, to parents will help families offset the rising costs of living so that moms and dads can best support their kids. Tutors say that money will be better spent in the classroom. The prices range from $50 to $80. They're not going to fix their learning gaps in three sessions. Uh, we think parents will put the dollars to work. They could buy technology. Uh, it could be a variety of tools and resources and textbooks, things that aid their child in getting back on track. The education minister also noted parents won't have to provide proof of how the money is spent, insisting... First off, I trust parents to make the right decisions for their kids. Lecce also says the government will begin screening students for reading levels from the second year of kindergarten to grade two. Math action teams will also be deployed to underperforming school boards, and the province will make online math courses more accessible. Now, the results also showed that only 52% of grade 9 students are meeting the provincial standard. Now, that portal for the catch-up funding is now available for parents to apply on the uh, province's website, and they'll have that opportunity to do so until the end of March 2023. Reporting live, I'm Mike Walker. Back to you. Thanks, Mike. So what do parents think of the results in the province's new plan? CTV's Allison Hurst is out talking to families tonight and joins us now. Allison. Well, we've been hearing mixed reactions on the new plan. Some saying, obviously, the pandemic has something to blame, while others say the onus has really fallen to parents to help the kids catch up. Leanne Barton's daughter is in grade six and says math is a problem. I can see it with the homework. Um, the level of understanding is, has declined. Because of that, she's taking matters into her own hands. I have to do tutoring for my daughter because she's just so far, far behind. Turns out the majority of kids are. Just 47% of grade six students met the provincial standard on this year's EQAO test. Something has to be done. Standardized testing is controversial and many parents question whether it's fair. Teachers always prepare for it, which they're not supposed to, so maybe they're not this year. Kids don't, a lot of kids don't learn that way and don't show their knowledge that way. While others say the pandemic has set students back in general. I think a lot of it has to do with COVID and a lot of them doing the online learning. You know, the in-school is so much better for them. I think the pandemic has infiltrated, like, so many layers of our society. But Elon Mastai says low test scores can't only be blamed on the pandemic. It may just be that the way we're teaching these things don't line up anymore with, with, with how kids process the information, how they solve problems. Solving this one, he says, will take patience. 
This was the first assessment since the pandemic and also since Premier Doug Ford took office after he promised in 2018 to revamp the math curriculum. Reporting live, I'm Allison Hurst. Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Allison. Still ahead, the cost of caring for your children, the conflict between Ottawa and Queen's Park over daycare funding, and what the two sides are saying tonight that could have a big impact on your family. There is a growing concern among the Thornhill Muslim community following a troubling incident at an Islamic center. Tonight, many are worried about a recent rise in threats and harassment, all stemming from events thousands of kilometers away. CTV's John Musselman explains. Congregants at the Amman Mahdi Islamic Center in Thornhill say the attacks are frightening. This, this anxiety and level of fear is something unusual. I haven't observed anything during, you know, all those 30 years attending mosque and uh, Islamic centers. Three exterior walls of the Islamic Center were spray painted with derogatory, hateful graffiti. It has since been painted over. It included the words death to priests and death to the Islamic regime. The mosque has also been targeted with online threats and demonstrations. Congregants say the protesters are drawing false connections between the mosque and the government of Iran. It comes in the wake of protests for women's rights and freedoms in Iran, spurred by the death of a 22-year-old woman in police custody. These disgusting threats and actions have no place in Canada. An entire community and religion shouldn't be demonized in this way due to the actions of some people across the world. Zero affiliation with no government, with no political parties or anything. Uh, this is just a, a place of worship. York Regional Police have released security camera photo of a suspect. His face is covered, so there's not much to go on, but someone may recognize the clothing. It happened around 11.45 p.m. on October the 13th. So it's being classified as uh, hate-motivated, hate-biased. So anytime there's a, a criminal offense that occurs that is uh, hate-motivated or has bias attached to that, uh, we have a hate crime prevention unit that will investigate. So far, no arrests. The Islamic Center is equipped with security cameras. Staff say extra security will be added as a precaution. If you have any information, you're asked to call York Regional Police. John Musselman, CTV News in Thornhill. Entering the courthouse today, Jacob Hogard marked past reporters into his sentencing for the sexual assault of an Ottawa woman six years ago in a Toronto hotel. Tonight, he is behind bars. And our Austin Delaney is at the courthouse and was at the sentencing today. He joins us live. Austin. Jacob Hogard showed no emotion standing in front of the judge as she sentenced him to five years behind bars. As the courtroom cleared, he was allowed to go see his wife, say goodbye. She was in the front row. They kissed, they hugged, then he was led away in handcuffs. Mr. Hogard, the psychiatric report said you don't feel any remorse. Is that the truth? With his wife at his side, Jacob Hogard said nothing to reporters as they entered the courthouse to hear his fate. Convicted by a jury of sexual assault causing bodily harm, handed today a five-year prison sentence. Mr. Hogard's conviction and sentence sends a message to the community that sexual violence will not be tolerated by our community, by anyone. Justice Gillian Roberts saying, whatever fleeting moments of gratification Mr. Hogard derived from his conduct, they have come at a staggering and utterly unacceptable cost of forever changing the victim's life. Hogard was cuffed and led away after being allowed to say goodbye to his wife. The 38-year-old was found guilty of the 2016 violent sexual assault of an Ottawa woman in a Toronto hotel.
Justice Roberts, in her reasons, saying the sexual assault was deeply traumatizing. She is not the same person. Her joyful, adventurous spirit was extinguished by the sexual violence Mr. Hogard inflicted on her. We recognize that sexual assault is uh, devastating to, or can be devastating to the physical and psychological well-being of survivors, their families, their communities. As I said, we can only prosecute if we have survivors who will attend to the authorities. But these are difficult cases and we appreciate that. The former frontman for the Canadian band Headley's life fell apart when the allegations of sexual misconduct began to surface. Fame turned to infamy. He changed from a recognizable rock star to a recognizable pariah, said the judge, while dismissing Hogarth's rock star defense. That his problems are rooted in fans throwing themselves at him, noting his victim was not a fan. They simply met on the dating app Tinder. Tonight, the former rock star was placed in a prison transport wagon and was driven to a detention center to begin his sentence. And Hogarth was hoping not to spend tonight in jail. His legal team was in court this afternoon asking for a judge to grant him bail pending an appeal. The judge has reserved his decision. Reporting live at the courthouse, I'm Austin Delaney. All right, thank you, Austin. The province is reporting 109 COVID-19 deaths over the last week. The weekly update also shows the number of people admitted to Ontario hospitals with COVID is up to 1,663. That's higher than at any point since early May. Infectious disease experts have warned of a fall surge. Health officials say more masking recommendations are on the way as they encourage residents to stay up to date on their vaccinations. The United Kingdom is mired in political turmoil tonight. The fallout after its leader quit just six weeks into the job. I recognize though, given the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. Liz Truss's shocking departure leaves behind a government filled with infighting. And as CTV's Danielle Hamamjian explains, a sense of buyer's remorse. Liz Truss's vision for a low-tax, high-growth economy for the UK is out the door. And now so is she. I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. Her downfall set in motion by a $70 billion package of unfunded tax cuts that spooked the markets, caused government bond yields to surge and the British pound to plunge, all of which triggered an unprecedented intervention by the Bank of England. She pulled so many U-turns on her policies that 24 hours after saying this... I am a fighter and not a quitter. She was forced to turn around and quit, having lost the confidence of too many of her own MPs. It's certainly not a circumstance I would wish to see. The embarrassment of having to replace someone the Conservatives chose just six weeks ago means whoever is next must unite the party. Liz Truss just announcing that she's resigned. <laughs> Not surprised, yeah. uh, but then she was voted in by the Conservative Party, who now need to vote somebody else in, probably the person who lost. That would be Rishi Sunak, who came in second after rightly predicting the market reaction to Truss's policies. But opposition parties want a general election, not a coronation. 
and the public are paying with higher prices, with higher mortgages. So we can't have a revolving door of chaos. We can't have another experiment at the top of the Tory party. Candidates for Prime Minister will have until 2pm on Monday to get at least 100 Conservative MPs to support them. A high threshold only serious MPs will be able to achieve. Their colleagues will then vote down to the final two and then party members will vote online with the name of the next Prime Minister announced next Friday. Danielle Hamamjian, CTV News, London. Former Bank of Canada Governor Mark Carney says a recession is likely on the way for much of the globe, and that includes this country. I would put it uh, this way. Um, it's, um, I'm afraid it's a bit like uh, air travel these days. Uh, we know where we're headed. We just don't know when we're going to get there. Um, so Carney was testifying before the Senate Banking Committee. He says Canada might fare better than other countries in an economic downturn because of the strong labor market and its ties to the U.S., Carney also advises fiscal restraint by governments as the cost of borrowing rises. Also in our nation's capital, challenges and failures of law enforcement were on full display during the Emergencies Act inquiry. As CTV's Kevin Gallagher reports, testimony suggests the Ottawa police were plagued by disorganization and internal disagreements. The self-styled Freedom Convoy was heading to Ottawa. The Ontario Provincial Police warned Ottawa police the protesters planned to be there for the long haul. Those were hectic times, so I can't say for sure that I actually saw the report at that point in time. Patricia Ferguson was the major incident commander with the Ottawa police during the protest. Despite multiple warnings, she says Ottawa police didn't have a plan to deal with the demonstration past the first weekend. Now, in hindsight, what would you have done differently in this planning phase? I suppose we would have given more credibility to the information and intelligence telling us that there was a faction that were planning on staying for a much longer period of time. As unruly crowds camped out near Parliament, an OPP assessment highlighted Ottawa's policing failures, saying it was not intelligence-led with poor communications and leadership was not qualified to handle the situation. Ferguson described a dysfunctional and disorganized command structure during her testimony to the Emergencies Act inquiry. In early February, with Ottawa occupied by anti-mandate protesters, Ferguson says the force lacked direction. I don't think we had a plan at that point in time. Every option is on the table to resolve this demonstration. As then, Ottawa Police Chief Peter Slowly tried to regain control of the city, Ferguson says he threatened members of his own force. Anyone who undermines the operational plan, he will crush them. And I wrote in, my, in brackets that he said it twice, and his, I noticed that his chin was twitching. I was kind of aghast at the, the comment. Ottawa's acting deputy police chief repeatedly told the inquiry her force lacked the necessary staff to handle the convoy protest. Though it took nine days before a specific request was made to the province and the federal government for 1,800 additional officers. Kevin Gallagher, CTV News, Ottawa. U.S. officials say they have evidence Iranian troops are directly supporting Russian drone attacks on Ukraine. Iranian military personnel were on the ground in Crimea and assisted Russia in these operations. Uh, Russia has received dozens of these UAVs so far and will likely continue to receive additional shipments uh, in the future. 
Iran has denied selling military equipment to Russia, but Ukraine says that's where the drones came from. Russian strikes have knocked out a large portion of Ukraine's power infrastructure, and residents have been told to reduce their electricity use and expect blackouts. Closer to home, hundreds of Nova Scotians say they still don't have phone and Internet access more than three weeks after Fiona hit the region. A lot of our neighbors here on the lake are elderly people, um, some of them up into their 90s, and they have no phone, no Internet, no TV, and their cell phones won't work. As of Wednesday afternoon, about 1,400 customers in the worst-hit areas of the province were waiting for service to come back online. Local service provider Bell Alliance says service restoration is still its top priority. CTV is a division of Bell Media. The Supreme Court of Canada has ruled it will not hear the case of a group of residential school survivors from northern Ontario. The group from St. Anne's has been fighting with the federal government to hand over documents. The survivors say Ottawa is in breach of the residential school's settlement agreement because it withheld documentation of abuse when deciding their compensation. The Supreme Court didn't provide its reason for dismissing the leave to appeal as is standard practice. And that shameful period of Canadian history also on the minds of hundreds of Toronto students today. The youth's taking part in a walk to remember the horrors of the residential school system and the tragic story of a young Indigenous boy who died while simply trying to return home. Here's CTV's Beth McDonnell to explain. It's a first at Jackman Avenue Junior Public School in Toronto. Students from junior kindergarten to grade six walking to remember Cheney Wenjack. He was one of the people who stood up for himself and actually decided to leave that horrible place. I think that he was really brave to try to escape and he really handled it well. It's just a really sad story. I am a stranger. Gord Downey's album and film brought the 12 year old boy's story to a large audience called Charlie at the school, he was one of an estimated 150,000 Indigenous children forced into residential schools in Canada, taken from their communities and culture. This walk, an attempt to understand what Wen Jack went through at the institution in northwestern Ontario and in October 1966 when he ran away. The 600 students are walking a one-kilometer route representing a total of 600 kilometers. This is the distance when Jack tried to travel back to his First Nation. He died about 60 kilometers from the school. And we walk for all those children who never made it home. Zoe Rankin is one of two teachers who spearheaded the walk. Cheney Wenjack's story is a tragic one, but it's not uncommon. And the more awareness that we can promote to these um, topics, I think the better. In addition to walking, students sang and made signs, raising more than $4,000 for the Downey and Wenjack Fund. He showed that even if you're small, you can do something huge. And actually, it's a huge part of truth and reconciliation that we're working towards. We should always put ourselves in someone else's shoes and think how it would feel if that had been done to you. By walking in Wenjack's footsteps, the hope is to learn and move forward. Beth McDonnell, CTV News.
Well done, kids. Coming up, a towering and vibrant new addition to the downtown core, a tribute to a Canadian legend whose journey through our streets and beyond changed lives right across the country. And I'm Pat Foran. Coming up on Consumer Alert, a new survey is ranking customer satisfaction when it comes to Canada's big banks. Many people say they're frustrated with inflation and rising interest rates. So which bank is treating its customers the best? I'll have that story. That's just ahead. Forecast low in Toronto tonight, one degree. That's it, and that's chilly. We will have clear skies and calm winds, but as a result, a risk of frost. The winds pick up again tomorrow, but there will be sunshine and warm temperatures. A patio forecast may be pushing it a little bit for this time of year, but I think you're going to want to spend some time outside. We'll talk about your weekend forecast coming up, and stay with us. We've got another full night of great shows for you right here on CTV. A new report on Canada's banks finds that inflation, rising interest rates and economic uncertainty are weighing on bank customers. Many also say they would like their banks to do more to guide them through the current economic climate. Pat Foran has the details on Consumer Alert. Pat. Thanks, Michelle and Nathan. The survey rates Canada's big banks based on customer satisfaction. And while many people say they're generally satisfied with their bank, they feel they could do more when it comes to advice and customer service. When it comes to Canada's big banks, there's been a decline in satisfaction among customers from earlier in the year. Still, when you ask people if they like their bank, many say they do. I get good service from the bank so far, and I'm satisfied. It's easy access. I do the online as well. The Canada Banking Satisfaction Survey by J.D. Power used a 1,000-point scale to rate the banks. In first place was RBC, followed by CIBC, Bank of Montreal, TD Canada Trust, and Scotiabank. Not one bank is right for every customer. Some are more digitally oriented, some are more human oriented. At a time when Canadians are facing rising interest rates, inflation and fears of a recession, only 32% of customers feel their bank supports them in challenging times. Many also said they would like advice on how to manage inflation, save for a recession and pay down debt. And as banks continue to make billions of dollars each year, many customers say they would appreciate better customer service. It's not possible to talk to anybody on the phone at least, you know. The, 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 the waiting time is like 45 to 60 minutes. You want to talk to somebody, like, you know, right away to tell them what's going on. There are like six wickets open, like only two counters. People are serving long lineup. The survey also took a look at mid-sized banks and gave top marks to Tangerine, a digital online bank with no physical branches. It's not right for everybody, but if you don't need a branch, Tangerine um, offers you know, great products, you know, great rates, um, and also you know, their service is really strong. Banks have different products and services, so if you're not happy with yours, it may be time to see what other banks have to offer. And earlier this year, 50% of bank customers said they feel financially healthy, but later in the year, that number dropped to 38%. Three-quarters of those asked said they're concerned the cost of goods and services is outpacing their income. On your side, I'm Pat Fora. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. Well, we have some good news. Today is the last of the gloomy stretch that we've had. And I think by tomorrow, even though there's a frost advisory, we will have forgotten all about the cold. Yeah, perfect timing. Tomorrow's Friday and things yes. start to clear up. 
Yes, and tomorrow is sort of the transitional day, so we'll start to get a little more in the way of sun. Things will warm up. It is still going to be a windy day, but by the weekend, I think uh, today's weather will start to feel like a little bit of a distant memory, and it wasn't just today. We've been trapped in this pattern all week long. Many communities had some wet snow this morning, but by this weekend, our temperature could climb close to 20 degrees. I think many are ready for that change. Weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard to stop a train. This is the kind of weather that I'm talking about. This was Utterson, Ontario earlier today, which is near Huntsville. That is some wet snow accumulating. And my goodness, this was not the only area. Uh, Bracebridge, Ontario, seeing power outages as a result of the heavy wet snow falling and accumulating. I want to thank Sarah for this video uh, today. And a big thank you to everybody who's been sending us weather photos as well. We love to see them and to share them here on our newscast. I'm happy to report that uh, the wet snow snow is tapering off just about everywhere. We've got a band of lake effect rain making its way off of Georgian Bay and the showers are moving out of the greater Toronto area too. Finally, we are saying goodbye to this area of low pressure as it spins. We're still expecting a wraparound winds through the day tomorrow, but high pressure is going to settle into place. And generally speaking, when we have high pressure, we have clear skies. And in this case, we're not really going to have the cool temperatures aside from overnight tonight. So there's the midnight hour. Cloud cover starting to dissipate and break away, but it's allowing for that colder air to sink in. So overnight tonight, we're chilly. Tomorrow, though, by the afternoon, we're expecting a return to seasonal temperatures or slightly warmer then. Forecast daytime high for us is about 15 degrees in Toronto. And then look at Saturday. Mix of sun and cloud for your Friday, mainly sunny skies for Saturday. Here's a look at tonight's lows. One degree for Toronto, but minus two in Waterloo, minus one in Peterborough and Bancroft, right around freezing in Aurelia. There is a frost advisory in effect for tonight for cities like Toronto, Mississauga, Brampton, Burlington and Oakville. If you do have any plants that you want to continue to protect at this time of year, good idea to maybe bring them indoors or cover them up if you can. Often we reach our coldest point in the night just before sunrise and that of course is happening a little bit later in the morning now as our days continue to get shorter. But 15 degrees tomorrow under mainly sunny skies. Again, I think we'll take that. Weekend looks great. 18 degrees for Saturday. 18 degrees for Monday as well for Diwali and election day. Looks like our ne next best chance of maybe some wet weather comes on Tuesday. It's about a 60% chance of showers. That's your look at the weather. Nathan, over to you. All right, thank you, Lindsay. Also tonight, with less than a few weeks for child care operators to opt in to the Fed's $10 a day program, we check in on the rollout and whether parents will see the much needed savings. Nowhere in Canada is it more expensive for child care than here in Ontario. And today, federal ministers were in Toronto to stump their national plan adopted by Queen's Park. But there's some concern the province is not living up to its end of the bargain. As CTV's Andrew Brennan explains, the result could put families at risk of ballooning costs. I moved here 11 years ago. Sarah Kravitz is a freelance director. Working in the arts can be inconsistent, but one constant she's looking forward to is paying less on childcare. I'm booked usually two weeks ahead, so I don't know what's going to happen two weeks ahead. Um, and, and that makes a huge difference. I mean, it's, it's 10 grand a year saving. Savings, she says, can go towards extracurricular activities for a three-year-old daughter, Sina, and allow for conversations about expanding the family. There's going to be bumps along the road, but I think overall we're, we're, take, we're, we're demonstrating incredible progress. With less than two weeks left, Federal Families Minister Karina Gould says 75% of daycares in Ontario have signed on to the national program 
leading to $10 per day daycare. But the rollout hasn't been smooth. Gold would not say how Education Minister Stephen Lecce took her recent letter of concern about removing restrictions for qualifying daycares on undue profits and ineligible expenditures, such as using public money to pay executive bonuses or finance a mortgage. Because we are um, allowing for some for-profit expansion in Ontario, which we're typically not, uh, is, is typically not the case in other provinces and territories. So we just want to be very mindful uh, that public dollars are being used appropriately. 25 to 30 percent of our childcare operators would have been excluded from the deal if we allowed the federal Liberals to have it their way. Lecce says he was listening to daycare owners. The overwhelming majority of for-profit child care operators are small business women who've asked us to appreciate the investment and the risk they take. Caught in the middle with a looming deadline are tens of thousands of parents paying some of the highest fees in Canada, hoping their daycares will sign on so the cost of their child care will become that much more affordable. Andrew Brennan, CTV News. MPP Lisa McLeod says she's been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and metabolic disorder. The Ottawa area PC says she suffered a mental health crisis in May before taking a leave of absence a few weeks later. McLeod was first elected in 2006 and won her seat again in the June election. She says she began a gradual return to work in August and she'll be back at Queen's Park next Tuesday. If you live in one of the millions of Canadian households with a natural gas stove, you may want to hear this. A study out of California found the appliances can leak harmful chemicals inside homes even when they're not in use. Researchers found at least 12 hazardous air pollutants from gas stoves, including benzene. That chemical is known to cause cancer in some people with long exposure. The findings were published in the journal Environmental Science and Technology. A New York jury has found Kevin Spacey not liable in his civil sexual abuse trial. The Oscar winner didn't respond to questions as he walked out of the courthouse. He had been sued by fellow actor Anthony Rapp, who accused him of touching him inappropriately when he was 14. Spacey had denied misconduct but apologized after the allegations came out. He now says, quote, I regret my entire statement. Spacey still faces a criminal sexual assault trial in the U.K. where he is pleaded not guilty. After a deadly onset shooting in New Mexico, Western movie Rust is preparing to start filming again in a different location. In October 2021, cinematographer Helena Hutchins was shot and killed by a prop gun being handled at the time by actor and producer Alec Baldwin. Baldwin producers and Hutchins' family have settled a civil lawsuit over her death, but criminal charges could still come. An attorney for the production company says Rust will resume filming somewhere other than New Mexico with a safety officer on set. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Last Men's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. Updating our top stories, two officers gunned down in an Innisfil home last week were remembered as heroes today. The joint funeral for Constables Morgan Russell and Devin Northrup was held in Barrie. Thousands of officers and emergency services personnel gathered to say their final goodbyes. I can see it with the homework. Um, the level of understanding is, has declined. 
New data shows elementary and high school students across Ontario are falling behind in their studies compared to pre-pandemic figures, with more than half of grade 6 students not meeting the provincial standard in math. I think that he was really brave to try to escape, and he really handled it well. Students walked out today in an effort to create a path towards reconciliation. This was in honor of an Indigenous boy who died after running away from a residential school in the 1960s. On the markets, the Canadian dollar was virtually unchanged to close at 72.61 U.S. American benchmark oil gained 43 cents a barrel to close at 85.98 U.S. And TSX Composite Index lost 95 points to end the day at 18,579. Investors don't seem too enthusiastic about the latest results from Tesla. The electric vehicle maker says revenue for the third quarter missed estimates, although profit was higher than expected. CEO Elon Musk says demand was softer than expected because of downturn. He also contradicted an executive who said Tesla won't meet its goal of 50% annual growth in vehicle deliveries. Tesla stocks are down 37% for the year as Musk debates buying Twitter. A new survey suggests preferences are shifting among Canadians when it comes to paying for transit fares. Fewer people are taking transit since the start of the pandemic, and many who do ride less frequently. An Interact survey found 37% of respondents find it inconvenient to use a dedicated transit card or app. That's up from 19% before the pandemic. Nearly 7 in 10 said contactless payment options would make paying for transit more convenient. Tap to Pay is now an option on Go Transit and other services, but not on the TTC. Just ahead, there's a new site on University Avenue, a vision of hope you can't miss. Unveiling the new Terry Fox mural, steps from where the Canadian legend united a country for a cause. Tonight, an invasive insect putting Canadian growers on high alert. Great finds are a really good host for them. The destructive force of the spotted lanternfly, hungry for fruit and headed for Canada. Later on CTV National News. Stories, breaking news alerts, and watch live. Download the CTV News app. Now I've got cancer in my lungs. And uh, we got to go home and, tr and try and do some more treatment. His journey cut short, but his efforts to raise money for cancer inspired generations, bonded a nation, and became a symbol of hope for millions. Tonight, a new honour for Terry Fox right here in Toronto. A mural honouring the Canadian legend has been created at U of T. It appears along the route Fox ran through the city in 1980 before thousands of people supporting his every step. Here's CTV's Scott Lightfoot. Standing eight stories high, it's a colorful new addition to one of downtown Toronto's busiest streets. The expectations were very high on this project, and so, yeah, my nerves were, you know, definitely a little afraid working on this one. Artist Alexander Bacon, along with fellow artist Q-Rock, are responsible for this mural. Their design chosen after the city put out calls for a landmark public art piece honoring Terry Fox. I'm a kid from the 80s, so... Uh, he's an iconic Canadian figure. I mean, uh, his story, a storage of courage and resilience is well known. 90 feet or 27 meters high, the mural took months to plan and two weeks to paint. It's located on the side of the University of Toronto's Rehabilitation Sciences Building on University Ave just north of Dundas. And already it's drawing attention with people looking up as they pass by 
or stopping to take photos. I feel like I should turn around and keep looking at it. I want to do that. It's, it's incredibly powerful and impressive. Among those admiring the work, Terry's brother, Daryl, who came to help launch the public art installation. It's unbelievable to see how Terry's legacy is still so vibrant, 42 years removed from the Marathon of Hope. Uh, and I think he'd be pretty proud how we continue to raise money in his name. Close to $850 million has now been raised, and this will help us in terms of uh, continuing the momentum. Now Toronto has a permanent tribute to a Canadian icon and his Marathon of Hope along one of the streets he ran when he stopped in this city 42 years ago. It's always a good feeling when you finish a, a mural, but this one on this scale, it was an extra good feeling, especially at, on the location here, you know, with the UFT campus having it on here and uh, with all the hospitals around, I think it all played perfectly. Scott Lightfoot, CTV News. It is a beautiful piece, and the sun will be shining down on it in the days ahead, finally. Yeah, nice dry day tomorrow to get outside and enjoy that mural. We just have to get through a chilly night tonight. It is still a little bit windy out there, but the showers are tapering off. The sky is starting to clear, but those are some of the ingredients that are going to be in place for us to potentially see frost overnight. And this is a frost advisory that includes the city of Toronto, which hasn't happened very often this season. Let's take a look at the next three days. I'm excited about these ones. Temperatures in the teens, lots of sunshine all of a sudden. What a difference compared to just about every day this week. And then the rest of your seven day forecast looks like this. Overall, pretty pleasant conditions throughout. Chance of showers next Tuesday and temperatures uh, start to ease somewhat to more seasonal values by the middle to end part of next week. Nathan and Michelle. All right, thank you, Lindsay. Be sure to join Omar Sachedina tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by Zoraida Allman with our next local newscast at 11.30. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay Morrison and all of us at CTV News, thank you for watching. We leave you now with more from today's funeral for Constables Devin Northrup and Morgan. and dedicated men who gave their lives to protect our community. And we will never have the chance to thank them.